0: all right and we're off so we are here at another episode of the developing communities podcast as always i am joined by alexander and today we have a fantastic guest with us which is rain leander so thank you for joining us here rain and uh, maybe we can start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to yeah
1: um i'm rain leander uh my pronouns are they them? Um, Yeah, I have an undergrad in dance and a master's in IT. And that says a lot about who I am left, right. Uh, I am currently at Cockroach Labs on week three. So you might say I've been adventuring quite a bit, Uh, you know, because it's not like there's a pandemic going on. So (laughs) why not switch jobs? a few times over the past year and a half um but i'm loving it i am a technical evangelist is my official title and i'm loving it it's basically a developer advocate uh with an emphasis on traveling and speaking and and listening i actually don't like this title because i feel like the evangelist has one religious implications uh that are not are not me others are welcome to be religious it's not my gig uh but also evangelism implies that i'm not here to listen for you and and i'm i'm definitely i'm a listener <laughs>
0: yeah that's uh that's cool. such well, an interesting uh go for it alexander I, I know that you're
2: sorry to I, I was about, about that. to ask did you find a, a better suited name uh for your role then
1: I I am very keen on Developer Advocate, it's one of my favorites, it's the advocacy part of it that to me fits exactly because I not only advocate on behalf of the company to the community but I find out what the community needs and I advocate on behalf of the community to the company and I feel like that dialogue has to happen. And within developer relations, that is the most. That's that's the most important for me, is that communication.
0: Yeah, it's, it's super interesting. And what you say, my official title, uh, although I, I always say developer advocate, is uh, developer evangelist. And I changed my LinkedIn, uh, title to Developer evangelist. And I got a, a bunch of, uh, really strange messages <laughs> coming in <laughs> that <laughs> so I decided just to stick to the developer advocate. It, what you say is really interesting because the, the way that you describe it, this advocacy, uh, role when you do it is that, you know, it, it, it sounds like you're, uh, your your clients is the developers and you know you're not necessarily working for the company you're trying to influence the company to be in line with what you know your clients and developers the community is after would you say that that's that's kind of accurate it
1: it is it is more accurate to say that I have to remain impartial and neither neither have the company nor the developer nor the product as my client and yet have equal and and yet those are my three clients so the product is just as important or the project as the community and the company um, i will say i've never had a time touch wood where the company and or the product and or the community were in complete disagreement. And one of the reasons is that you make sure that the company is as transparent as possible, the project or the product is as transparent as possible, and the community knows what's going on and is also as transparent as possible. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why I prefer working in open source. Because mm-hmm. that needed- is inherent go ahead alex sorry
2: is there other time when your focus went too much into either the product or the company branding or either into def- advocating for your, your community uh, and if so how do you do you have some tools or some ways to maintain that balance uh, or have warnings when you lose sight
1: um well i, I... I wouldn't say that I have gone too far to one side or the other, but I will say that um, there was a time once where there was movement that was happening within the community. This was, uh, this was three years ago. And uh, one of the projects within OpenStack, triple O was not going to be ready for the release. Um, and I assumed, <laughs> so that's uh, the, it's, that was my my bad. That the engineering group of Triple O understood that that was late because it was simultaneous. This was within Red Hat, where you have the product and the project and the engineering and upstream very close to one another. And so, so effectively, I assumed that that communication was happening between engineering and management and it wasn't. So when the release date came and Triple O was late, um, one of the people that they were like, did you see this coming? Was me. I was one of the I was the community stakeholder. I saw this coming and I had assumed that management knew. And so from then on, I assumed nothing mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and just made sure that the information was written down and the key stakeholders were always informed, um, no matter what. Um, I found that it doesn't really come down to a tool as much as a, a mindset. So making sure that you're constantly transparent and that you are constantly documenting and getting that information out there so that uh, your stakeholders are informed. Now, figuring out your stakeholders, that can be more difficult, um, but that's really about talking to everyone as much like getting everyone's input. And then so you're not bike shutting making decisions, maybe in spite of people's preferences, or with inspired by people's preferences. But ultimately, you have to make the decisions and go with the consequences, right?
2: (laughs) I've had a similar experience, I think, uh, uh, in my company, there have been uh, especially in a role when you connect a lot the business, the community, and uh, and the product, you tend to mm-hmm. audience a lot of information and assume naturally that everybody has access to the same information.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and then, um, so we took upon to give, a, to warn upon warn, to give everybody the rule of having the responsibility. Of sharing information, of putting information back on the table, even if it's repeating it for some people, yeah, because that yeah. flow of information is key to the success, and especially, uh, well, younger companies, it's critical to the success.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's Definitely. it's interesting. It's interesting. One of the things that uh, recently Kit Guardian decided to implement was making uh, the the roadmaps and uh, all the kind of timelines public which which was uh yeah and i think you know it's still developing in terms of you know how this is set up so you know not everything is 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 as transparent as i think it will be down the track but that was a really interesting approach uh to me and so then Because when people are asking for different features of when they're going to become available, you know, it it can feel like everything is like, oh, it's in the pipeline. It's like this magical mystery box, the pipeline. Yeah, it's in the pipeline. Like, what does that mean?
1: It's down the road. (laughs) So one of the things I really, really love is making that pipeline public and then also implementing a feature request system that the public can vote on and see. So, so you might have something like, um, oh, what was what was the, the particular, the Equinix Metal had a particular uh, tool for this that was public facing, it was for feature requests, and then anyone inside the company or outside the company could see and then vote on those feature requests. And therefore, if you had a bunch of people who really wanted that data center in Sao Paulo then it would get a lot of votes and it would happen accordingly like it was it was uh, it made it more obvious and then if you had a feature that was pushed up to the top you would need to explain why you know oh well this is because we have a couple of key customers maybe that are putting more resources towards it for example. Mm. Um, but it, it, yeah, when you have transparency, it makes a lot of things so much easier.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And it, it's such an obvious thing when you when you think, or you want to know what your users, mm-hmm. what, the, what the stakeholders uh, want, but uh, sometimes I think we've, we're starting to come out of a culture of kind of secrecy in, in this and, and get more transparency as open source becomes more popular. Yeah. It
2: it really puts you out of your comfort zone because you have to own that that roadmap, uh, you know, to say we're gonna deliver and we're gonna yeah. try to to meet the the dates or the the timeline we p- promise you to. Uh, and that's scary. That's scary for everybody, for for CEO and product team and and marketing. Or, or I mean, and and I'm curious because I haven't done that. I think we're tending towards this in our in the way we can communicate with me. I think for Ponica, sometimes uh, w- we feel fearful that what community wants doesn't meet uh, what's good for the uh, revenue oh, generation, yeah. to be yeah. very transparent. Uh, as you had yeah. that, uh, what, what are the key benefits for you uh, going through this uh, open roadmap uh, strategy? Uh,
1: um, so when there is something that the community wants, but the company um, is not going in that direction. Um, there can be a couple of outcomes. Um, one, I'm thinking about Rel, Red Hat Enterprise Linux 5, when Red Hat, the company, wanted to start getting into virtual machines. And uh, and so they started traveling down the roadmap of implementing Xen, it's X-E-N. And simultaneously, the community within uh, Fedora, uh which which was kind of upstream is sort of upstream uh rel back then started exploring um kvm and so within rel 5 you had two options for this virtual machine zen and kvm but the truth is that zen was not community supported and so if red hat wanted to keep supporting Zen to keep implementing it in further release cycles, they had to completely pay for all of the engineers. Uh, They were entirely in charge of the collaboration efforts and the community kept supporting KVM. And as a result, KVM kept getting better and better. And Zen just kind of stayed stale. And after that, you saw that, that Zen went away. (laughs) <laughs> um, it's still available a little bit here and there. You can still find binaries and whatnot, but KVM is was clearly the virtual uh, machine of choice. Now, now we're in cloud and everything else, so it's it's past history. But that that's what can happen. But also, the company might make a choice on, say, licensing. Um, the company I'm with right now, Cockroach Labs, um, the Cockroach DB project has a very specific license that's a business license that the community is kind of, some of the community is not happy with that. And, and the thing is that the company needs to be transparent about why they made that choice. And it's because of business purposes, um, has to do with MariaDB. I don't know if you all know about database licensing and it's kind of all over the map. It's not as uh, black and white seemingly as like Apache versus MIT, but um, but there there's a lot within the database world, there's a lot more licensing issues and drama and fun stuff. And so the company just had to be transparent. And in this case, you know, They put their foot down and and that's their choice and whether or not it will affect future collaborations remains to be seen. I hope not. But it's 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 a choice you make. And sometimes sometimes that line happens. It's scary, right?
0: you know, I, I, what's so fascinating is when uh, I'm speaking to you is your, the passion that you have for open source and the community and it comes out, I think it oozes it oozes out of you. When when it comes to advocacy, how you know, how different do you think those, those roles can be between, you know, proprietary companies like what I, you know, what myself and, uh, and Alex kind of work for, these, you know, Corporate, corporate. Uh, you know, we have some open source components, but you know the uh, the, the main revenue and everything comes from our, our commercial yeah. products. And yeah. the, the open source. Yeah. How does advocacy differ between between those worlds?
1: Well, does it have to? That's the question. Because even within open source, I was employed by a company, Red Hat, or Equinix Metal or Cockroach Labs, and those companies still have secrets that they don't want to be made public, that are proprietary, that that gives them an edge within the competition, right? And so to me, a proprietary company is simply making all of their choices secret and um, and paying for their licenses and and et cetera. It's it's simply a way of working. Um, To me, the difference between proprietary and open source is, I mean, obviously the license, but it's also about how you're doing business. So are those business choices being made in public or are they being made in private? And what can you tell publicly and what remains private? So within proprietary company, you might have more secrets. And I, I have interviewed with uh, Oracle, for example, and I've interviewed with uh, other companies that were more proprietary and less open source. And uh, I think I could have done it. I think I could have been happy. The team was really strong and and there was still that element of transparency that I personally need in order to do my style of advocacy.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a a, a lot of sense. I, I want to I I love I love the open source uh, community, and I think that there's some great companies such as you know who a lot of you worked for you know HashiCorp in the security world, that actually wow. are proving the model that you can be open source and profitable and, yeah. you know, and, and, and a company, you can mix these all together. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not, it's not what a lot of people think that it's kind of black and white, like, okay, like open sources for, uh, GitHub and you, you know, like, and the community takes over and a company is closed source. I think now we're seeing these worlds collide and there's yeah. some visionaries that are doing it really well you know, of course, and and, and other and others that uh, kind of lead the way in showing that there's huge benefits in becoming open source. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think talking to people like you kind of I, 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 you you really understand the strong community connection that this has where people really get passionate about it. Well, one thing that I want to I want to touch on is a very, very at the start, you mentioned that you have a bachelor's in dance and a master's in IT. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. well, I'm so curious because I know you've told me before, but you know, how did you find this crazy Advoc- world of advocacy in <laughs> in this wild path that you did it, and what and what, and why were you attracted to that?
1: Yeah. Um, so when I was, you know. 13 and they are like, yeah, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like making you make this choice at age 13, which still still blows my mind. Um, I was like, "Uh, let me flip a coin. Yeah, I want to be a dancer. And it was just this random choice. And, uh, and so I interviewed this dance teacher and I was like, um, what does it take to be a professional dancer? What's it like? I asked all these questions and then right at the end, 13 year old me was like, hypothetically speaking, if someone were say 13 years old and, um. Maybe wanted it really bad and took, like, I don't know, a ton of classes. Do you think they might maybe be able to be a professional dancer someday? And she goes, without hesitating, no. Like, this woman was like, no, absolutely not, too old. And 13 year old me has not changed at all <laughs> growing up. If someone tells me no, I'm like, oh, yeah. And like, I will prove you wrong. So, so suddenly I actually did want to dance when I grew up. So I got an undergrad in dance. Um, I went to, before that, I went to a private school. I took like five hours of classes a day, Monday through Saturday. It was kind of nutty for such a young person to go so like zero to 110%. And so I wanted I wanted to get an undergrad in dance, dance professionally, get a master's in dance, teach in academia. That was my life. I decided at 13. And uh, and so I did. And and FYI, if you dance professionally in the U.S., um, you have to have a second and third and sometimes a fourth job. You work 80 to 100 hours a week. Um, It's it's very difficult and praise to people who do it still. Uh, But when I went back to get my master's um, along the way, uh, by then I was burnt out. Um, But also along the way, I had taught myself HTML. This is the late 90s, early 2000s. And I taught myself HTML so that I could barter for revenue or lighting services or performance spaces Um, and it never occurred to me that i could be paid to do that (laughs) Uh, so i also waitressed data entry like anything that i could be paid for in temp i was a, a receptionist at a tech company when 9 11 happened And when that second plane went into the building live, my brain said, what if you were a secretary right there, right now? And, and I quit my job. I went back and got a master's in IT because I loved coding. I loved building out websites, but I could not get a job doing it. And back then there were no boot camps. There were, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a different world today. I could go to Udemy and get some certificates. But back then, you had to have a master's or a bachelor's. It was very strict. Um, so I got a master's in IT that I did not learn anything from. I had taught myself all the things that it, it officially gave me, a piece of paper. And, and then I did tech during the day. And I loved it. Um, of course. <laughs> I mean, I'm here so when i went to get my master's in dance my assistantship was to be the web developer of the university Mm -hmm. and i loved my assistantship and i hated dancing by then i was completely burnt out i was miserable Mm -hmm. quit dance completely except for the weekends at clubs (laughs) And, and that's when i joined red hat that's when i uh exploded now how do i get to advocacy I gave birth (laughs) which I realize that doesn't make sense but in the Netherlands when you have a child you can go to part-time and you won't be fired Mm. and so I took that time like maybe I want to be a part-time parent maybe I want to switch careers and the job that I had with Red Hat could not be part-time so one of the things I started doing was what do I really enjoy from all the things that I've done? And, and I, I was like, I'll bet I would enjoy speaking at conferences. And of course I get, I get accepted cause I'm a noob and I'm a little quirky and I've got my tech and then I do it and I love it. It's a performance, right? So I'm kind of good at that. <laughs> and and from then on I'm hooked because advocacy is that balance of speaking and coding and meeting people and writing. And to me that going back and forth is that is the sweet spot for me. It's not too much extrovert, it's not too much introvert, it's the balance that I I love.
2: That is a good story. That's <laughs> a great story. Like, yeah, and we, we saw like everybody passed by like, by Horacle, by the dancing industry and, and <laughs> forward to this point. But uh, I guess this year, this couple of years, you found two, uh, 2020 and 2021, you've, you've been able to keep on doing uh, that uh, speaking advocacy online or things have changed radically for you?
1: Um. Yeah, so no more travel. And that sucks. I, I am really missing my metal tube action, but it's, it's become more streaming and podcasts and, uh, and doing conferences through video. You have to be, you have to like actually think about your background these days and actually think about your mic and your headphones. And, and so it's, it's a different uh, costume if you will. Uh, but it's pretty much the same. It's still a performance. It's still about the extrovert and the introvert getting out of the cave, coming back to the cave to rejuvenate. Um, So it changed, yes, but not a lot.
0: It's so fascinating to watch you because I can feel your excitement and energy through, through here. You know, I want to see you live. I can't wait. Next conference is coming <laughs> I'm, I'm coming. <laughs> because, Yay! I mean, anyone just listening to this, they can't see, they can probably still hear your energy, but you're very <laughs> dynamic. I feel like that's a fantastic skill to have in this, in this world because I mean, we can, it can become quite monotonous. I'm at the yes. RSA conference right now and, um, you know, and it's sometimes It can be difficult to to listen to a session where you know it's it's interesting, set, but just there's so many distractions around you that the, the speakers have to be very engaging. And I think that's yes. a that's a, a very difficult era. Do you? I, and I don't think we're gonna go all the way back. I think I think virtual conferences are gonna stay in some capacity uh, moving yeah, forward.
1: Agreed. Agreed. So yeah.
0: We all need to do that. What, 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 can, what are some of the skills that you, you know, learnt along the way? Clearly, from your story, you're a, a self learner. I think exactly. that. <laughs> yeah. But what, what are some of the skills that you, when you kind of went down this role of advocacy, that you picked up yourself, that you had to hone um, to be able to become such a dynamic speaker and, uh, you know, a presenter.
1: Well, the the speaking aspect of it, um, I I definitely joined Toastmasters so that I would have a place where I could experiment. It's this speaking club that's international, um, and I can't. Necessarily make mistakes on the stage, you know, when I'm being paid to speak and represent the company or the project or the the community. But within Toastmasters, within a club meeting, I can test out new humor, new concepts, see if the technical concept I'm talking about is getting across to a non-technical audience. There's all kinds of experimentation that you can do in Toastmasters that you can't necessarily do on the live stage. And to me, that's where I made most of my jumps forward. Um, For example, I discovered that I can never take my shoes off uh, when I speak. Because if I take my shoes off, my feet make me start dancing. It's just an unconscious. I just start all this, like, You know how most speakers say, um, and, uh, and like have these verbal crutches. I have physical crutches where I will start moving unconsciously and it's distracting, you know, like there's, there's, you know, focus Leander kind of thing. But, but I discovered that in Toastmasters, and therefore, I don't take my shoes off during a tech conference unless I want to demonstrate that particular, you know, I used to dance, or if it's a little bit fun conference kind of thing, uh, like an unconference, for example. but but it it comes down to practicing. and then and then I will say that I did most of my learning over the past year within the context of COVID, not traveling. And and I hired a a life coach and specifically broke down uh, skills that I wanted to consciously focus on, like time management, uh, leadership, communications, Uh, very specific. And I went out and, you know, what are the top books for this? What are the top workshops for that? And, and really consciously focused on my learning because before that I would learn according to what the job required. Mm -hmm. So I would, I would learn cloud computing, for example, because I was a cloud computing developer advocate, or I would learn, um, python because i was programming in python as a uh as a technical evangelist um and as of the past year i finally got so the other part of the story is that then i gave birth to twins and fyi twins are expensive (laughs) (laughs) and and suddenly i cared about money so much more uh before that i just you know Wanted to be happy in my job. But once I had twins and money mattered and money was tight and there were no more vacations and we were actually going into our savings every month, I suddenly was like, oh, hey, I think I need a raise. And I went and did some research on my income and realized that 50,000 euros a year is severely underpaid within the DevRel space, within the technical space by half or triple. Um, I should have been making way more for my experience. And so I went out and left Red Hat because they couldn't give me that much of a raise. Ended up at Equinix Metal. And after that, I had the extra funds to hire a life coach and make that conscious choice to have extra. now. You don't need a life coach to kind of consciously pick out things that you want to focus on and focus on them. For me, it was about having someone that I was accountable for, that I could be like, this is what progress I've made over the past week, and this is what I'm going to work on. And that can be a mentor, that can be a friend that is going to push you. It can be. But it turns out a lot of friends don't want to push you. They want to have ice cream together and they miss you. They want to hug. But it can it can be just another person. But that's how I started really moving forward. If you want, I can give you a link, uh, which is, I call it the Farmer Project because I want to be outstanding in my field. <laughs> Get it? Outstanding in your know, farmer project. Get it? <laughs> um and it's where I kind of also use a public advocate like I am accountable because I've put it out there. Um and yeah, I find that it it helps me keep an eye on my own progress as well as having that weekly check-in with my life coach. Mm.
2: That's super interesting. But uh, I it seems like, well, I guess you still have to keep learning on the coding side. How do you prioritize? How do you organize? How you do? How don't you get stressed about the amount of stuff you want to learn from?
1: Totally, totally. There's so stress management is one of the things that I was like, you know what? I need to work on this. (laughs) <laughs> so there's so there's learning this little skill it's called saying no um and this other skill where you say what's involved before you say yes mm-hmm. and and, and what? It's, what? What? i know i know not, you know completely you make it sound so simple i know like it just rolls off the tongue yeah it's it's about not saying yes constantly um, but also, for example, right now um, in this role that I'm in, I am a Python developer. I have built Python applications and part of my role is to build applications. And But Cockroach Labs would like to start talking with the JavaScript and TypeScript communities. And so I am learning JavaScript on the job. And that is part of my role. And so I've added JavaScript to I bought this book. Um Eloquent JavaScript. I love Uh, books. I love actual paper. Yeah. Yeah,
0: This one's great.
1: (laughs) I, I basically I went out and I was like, hey, internet fam, um I need to learn JavaScript. What do you recommend? And this is one of the books. Um and and so yeah, it's become part of my job. I put 20%. So that's one whole day of focused learning on JavaScript. And then basically I, I try to work at 80% of my capacity on a day to day basis so that when an emergency comes, I have 20% to give, right? If you're working at hundred percent all the time, emergency happens, that's it someone something's gonna drop and then i work closely with my manager and the key stakeholders to be like if i get more things piled onto my plate i say okay what's the priority here because this is what i've got going on right now and you would like me to add this how does it fit what is getting put aside um and so there's there's a lot of just communication and Asking questions and making sure that your priorities are aligned with your manager, the team, the company, the project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and just just no, yes, Yeah. nay.
2: I think there is something that I find fascinating because I don't think it's clear to everyone. It's like you've been hired for this position uh, and your company or uh, knew that you were not a JavaScript and uh, typescript expert uh, and they needed an advocate for those language and yet uh, they took you in the adventure and that means they understand that the core of your skills is not uh, is not being a, a JavaScript and typescript developer can you can you what do you feel about this
1: that lame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so first of all I, I cannot imagine a company hiring someone who is a hundred percent qualified for any position. Like if, if another company were to come to me and say, Hey, I want you to do exactly what you're doing right now. But for us, even if they added money to that, we would like to pay you double or triple or I would be like, "Mm, no, I'm happy. I'm doing what I love. I'm happy where I am. I'm paid enough. (laughs) You know? So Like, I'm not going to another company if I'm going to do the exact same thing. So there's that. But two, I have proven that I didn't know Python and I learned Python and jumped into the the Python community, started speaking at different Python conferences, and became embedded in that community. I have a proven uh, performance record that I can go, here's where I didn't know it, here's where I did, this is how I joined, these are the steps I did, and this is what I will do with JavaScript as well. Um, Now, I also have other skills that complement those, like I've, I've done developer advocacy and they wanted a developer advocate. I've done the speaking and the writing and the and the other skills and they also wanted those other skills. Now they they were taking a chance. They could have gotten someone who is active within the JavaScript but would they have been as skilled in the developer advocacy side of things? Would they have been as eloquent a speaker? Would they have been able to write as well? That's that's the decision that they have to make. And I'm glad they made it towards me. Um, <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Yay. Um, but the thing is, is that I was paid previously to go from zero to a Python developer before. And maybe you don't have that luxury. Maybe you are uh, not even in coding, And then you have to do it on the side, teach yourself that on the side. And I just wanted to say that you have to decide if it's important enough to make it a priority. I was once speaking at a Python conference and I was talking about how I was learning Python, inhaling it because I was comparing the object-oriented aspect of it to web development and how I was mapping over the language and therefore picking up Python faster. And somebody raised their hand and they were like, yeah, but like My wife just had a kid, um, and we're not sleeping, and I've got a full-time job, and I really want to be a Python developer, but how do I do this? And I said, look, if you can't do this, then you can't. But if you can, and if you're making the time, then you will get there. Mm. It's up to you to make that time or not.
2: Okay. Yeah, I think <laughs> to all the people out there, you you warned. <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: yeah and anyway, it is, and it it's great. It's my experience too as a developer advocate. I work in cybersecurity. I had, you know, very little experience in this field, um, you know, going up uh, half. You know that that I've had the opportunity to learn, which has been fantastic. Uh, you know, so I think it's for people that want to become an advocate or people that are looking to switched switched jobs it doesn't matter you don't need to have the perfect skill set for for yes, it I, I feel like if you're a self-learner and you have other complementary skills then then that's 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 okay uh, yeah, we can, definitely. we can build on that yeah
2: definitely I- Maybe we turn towards, I'm like, I'm super curious and you're so good at sharing your story. Uh, I have like tons of more questions, but it's been 40 minutes and I want to be cautious about your time and our audience uh, availability. So maybe I think I'm curious because you talked about how you removed barrier, how you're learning through your your career, how you adapt uh, and how adapting is such a core skills uh, as a developer advocate maybe i'm curious about how do you see where do you see yourself in five years like what's ahead of you what are the skills you want to learn in the next few years do you have an idea or you don't know how do you gonna how are you gonna find that?
1: yeah so my i i tend to answer this a lot of people think oh i want to uh become a senior in my field and then a manager and then i will be a ceo of my company no for me, it's about making the technology world a safe and playful place. Those are my two goals. And if I need to become a CEO to do that, I will. If I need to become a manager, I will. I, right now, I am helping shift towards the curious, the playful, the safe as an individual contributor. And that is enough for me. Um, So in five years, I hope that we have way more people that look like me and are underrepresented. I hope we have more uh, playful, curious uh, Mm -hmm. makers in our space that are welcomed and embraced and safe. Um, That is my goal. yeah. And in 10 years, it's a hundred percent. And, and you know, who's the underrepresented group now, the white cis male, and then, you know, I'm done. And then I get to drop the mic and walk away. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: I feel like uh, Ponycode is very aligned in, in that, because uh, if you go check out all of Ponycode's marketing and, and the videos at uh, the whole companies are uh, very playful. I feel. I, yes. Alex, I think you agree.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, but safe as well, uh, yeah, not only yeah. playful. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was curious what what playful and safe means for you really. What's the definition yeah. you cornered?
1: Yeah, so from a literal child space, um, you can't have fun in a pool that doesn't have a lifeguard, necessarily. Mm. Um, or Or if you don't know how to swim, you need to have your swimmies on. So for me, it's in the tech world, it's a space that has a COC, which to me is the seatbelt in the car. It's, it's a space that if something does go wrong, we can fix it. We have the technology. We can make it better kind of thing. It's a certain mindset that comes from curiosity that means that, oh, I want to see what's happening here. But also, I don't want to do harm with what I'm doing here. Um, And so for me, playfulness and safety go hand in hand. Um, If you are just put out in the wild with a knife, that can be fun. But it can also be very unsafe and you can die. And and there is a certain amount of adrenaline that is inherent in near death experience, like jumping out of an airplane. I have been there, but there is a level of safety that certain like some people are more comfortable with and another level of safety that other people are comfortable with. And I'm saying there needs to be a minimum level of safety across the board. And there's a certain level of playfulness that people have typically at the beginning of their career that sometimes goes away because of burnout, because of stress, because of not saying no enough or asking what the parameters of the project are. And to me, that can be there your whole life. There's nothing wrong with playing until you're 99.9 years old. Um, and then when you're hundred, you better you better be mature. No, but you can play your whole life. It's just that sometimes people think they have to act a certain way or let go of childish things, and that's bullshit. I hope we're allowed to cuss on this. Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> big fan of cussing. <laughs> no. Cool. So, uh, and I think that's I think that's it. So it's such a great uh a great topic to kind of uh start to wrap up on because i feel like that uh, has led everything throughout the whole program program as this idea of being able to play being able to try be able to fail learn yes. experiment and it's kind of where you've uh how you've ended up down this role um and hopefully yeah. had a lot of fun along the way
1: oh yeah yeah <laughs> Learned
2: a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and the, and the, 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 I mean, the safe side for me expressed a lot of sustainability. And you said it like to do it all your career long. Uh, it means yeah, that you draw a perimeter, that you do it in a safe place. And so you can do it for a long time. I really, I really like it. Yeah, exactly. I'm learning a lot here. This, this podcast Yay! really feels like my my lesson uh, space. Like I'm learning oh. from this. And I'm the first uh, fan <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's Yay! why it's why we created it. It's because really we just wanted
2: a selfish way to learn, but we we thought we'd achieve.
1: Nice, <laughs> love it, I love it.
2: Thank you very much. If people want to le- learn more about you, where can they find you online?
1: I'm on most places as at Rain Leander, um, and then I have a personal blog which is <laughs> Chronigen which I realize is very Dutch. Um, <laughs> I don't know why everyone doesn't know how to uh, speak Dutch. It's not like the <laughs> country is that small. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's because it's where I live, Groningen. Um, and then my name is Rain. But yeah, at Rain Leander in most places.
2: And uh, is there a place that uh, you're speaking uh, at soon? Online or offline? Not yet? <sighs> that is...
1: Not yet.
2: Summer, <laughs> Summer there, break.
1: There, yeah, exactly. It's kind of it's the slow. We just finished KubeCon and PyCon, uh, where I did the booths for both. Um, but oh, yeah, wow. yeah. We so. wish you
2: some rest. <laughs> 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 yeah. Very good, Mackenzie. Yeah. Where where can people find you online? Uh, so,
0: yeah, you can find me just about anywhere online, Advocate Mac is, where, uh, is my handle that I use. Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best place to, to try and find
2: me. I know it seems old and craggy, but uh, I don't you're, know. You're I such liked, an adult.
0: I, I liked my LinkedIn
2: profile, man. Come on. And you're doing something uh, these days. You're following a conference. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. So if you want to uh, check out the RSA conference, I'm doing daily updates of the RSA. i'm giving my thoughts on some of the best talks and uh, trying to chat to a few people, which is challenging virtually, but yeah, the RSA conference, uh, follow me and, uh, and follow uh, GitGuardian if you want to see the updates that are coming out from RSA. Cool.
2: Very good. And I'm on Twitter now. I've been forced back on Twitter by Mackenzie. So my name is Manialgie, M-A-N-I-A-L-G-I-E. That's complicated. Mm-hmm. I need to change that. Maybe, maybe I, I need to put Alexander. It must be available, Alexander, for sure. Uh, awesome. And yeah, yeah and Punića Dev for my company's update. And we're we are playful. I'm I'm thinking about changing my role to meme maker, uh, but I don't think my parents would approve or understand. So yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, Rain, for for being with us and sharing so much with us. And I hope uh, you get a lot of uh, vanity vanity KPI, a lot of followers from uh, from us, a lot of fun.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
2: Thank you very much.